Welcome to the Parenting with Confidence podcast. I'm your host, Teresa Alexander-Inman, board-certified behavior analyst and infant-toddler developmental specialist. Ooh, so Richard, um, welcome. We're going to discuss a really difficult topic today. And I'll tell you before that, I'll tell you a little bit about Richard, and then Richard will tell you a little bit more about himself and his motivation, his why. Okay. So Richard is the author of a new book for parents entitled The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. He has over two decades of experience treating teens and adults diagnosed with mental health and substance abuse disorders. Um, and he's here to talk to us about this difficult topic. So welcome, welcome, Richard. Thank you, Teresa. It's a pleasure to be with you here today to talk about this topic that I hope all of uh, the people who listen to us uh, find uh, helpful and informative and gain some insight into this uh, very difficult uh, uh, topic for many families. Yes, it certainly is. And like I told you before, it hit mine. My son actually um, struggled with alcohol addiction yeah. and um it it had it, it has been a struggle. So if I had you a few years ago, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think I think, you know, it's like anything else. Um, if we know the warning signs and what to look for, uh, we're more likely to catch something uh, at its early stages and intervene. And so many times, I would sit across from a family. And I would go through their child's history of using a substance and give them a diagnosis of a substance use disorder. And the, the parents would look at me and they would say something like, I had no idea this was going on. Or if they did suspect their child was using a substance, they might say, I sort of thought something was going on, but I didn't think it was this bad. And, and these are good parents. These are good parents doing the best job they can. They missed the warning signs because nobody told them what to look for. So after I left Menninger Clinic, I was there for a, a little over a decade, treating both teenagers and adults. Uh, I wanted to write this book, The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse. And I wanted to include some of the warning signs that parents should look out for, because I really think it's important that if we as parents know what the warning signs are, if we know what to look for, we're much more likely to catch something at its early stages and, and get it resolved than if we get caught at later stages. And then it's, it's, it, it sometimes can evolve into a crisis situation. So my motivation for writing the book um, it was to help parents know uh, what the warning signs are, how drugs work in the brain, what drugs are out there, what assessments and tests they should get done, and what treatment options are, are available. And I packed it all into a little more than 100 pages because I know parents are busy. They don't have time to read volumes of information on this. So I wanted to, to make it short and concise, but pack in as much information that I hope everyone who reads it will find helpful. Awesome. Well, you know, again, like I said, I wish, you know, a few years ago, when my son started, I guess, in his 20s. So he wasn't, mm -hmm. well, he was already living on his own in his 20s. So yeah. Uh, I, and I didn't know what the warning signs were and I lived in a different country. So it was just out there. Um, but what are some of those warning signs? 
Well, in my book, I have warning signs for a teenager that might be smoking marijuana. Mm -hmm. I have warning signs for a teenager that might be drinking alcohol. And I have warning signs for uh, a teenager that might be starting to develop an eating disorder and warning signs for a child that might be cutting or self-harming themselves because sometimes an eating disorder and self-injury can accompany a child's using substances. So I put those warning signs in the book. And uh, as a general rule, however, what I recommend to parents is to uh, simply pay attention to the changes that you see in your child. Don't assume that what you're seeing is just normal adolescent acting out behaviors. It may very well be that, but it might also be an indication that there's something else going on underneath the surface that you might want to pay attention to. So some examples of that would be a child whose grades are starting to decline, a child who um, used to enjoy uh, participating in extracurricular activities like sports, no longer enjoys doing so or participating in those activities. A child that used to introduce you to their friends now becomes very secretive of who their friends are. Uh, so so be, be in tune with the changes that you see in your child. You know your child better than anyone. So if pay attention to the changes that you see. If, if they sort of come and go fairly quickly, it's probably not too concerning. But if they tend to linger and then you start to see more and more changes, then I think it's time to get a professional assessment and get some advice as to what's really going on. Gotcha. So is there anything that you would say to the child or ask, have parents, you know, say to their child, um, because I know, first of all, there might be the denial, right? No, yeah. eh, maybe, but no, I don't think so. Not my child, because, you know, it will never happen. And um, so are there stages like that? You know, denial, you know, like the stages of death, you know, are there such yeah. stages, similar stages with um, having to deal with addiction? There can, there can be, uh, you know, parents often are in denial. Uh, and then a crisis comes along and, and they have to deal with it. And by then it's 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 a serious situation. And and then they they start to feel remorseful or guilty or, or feel ashamed. You know, they, they, they think, well, how did this happen to me? How did this happen to our family? What did I do wrong? And that's why I say to any parent that's going through this, having a child that's, that's using a substance and, and, and in treatment to build a support system for yourself, because we put a lot of attention on the child getting treatment or the child struggling with whatever substance use they're using. And we often neglect the parent. Well, the parent needs support and help as well. So my advice is for parents that are going through this to build a support system, a network of family and friends that will be there for you on this journey. Absolutely. And honestly, I just want to add too, and if they judge you, they're not there to help you. Right. Right. That's a good point. Uh, you, you don't deserve to be judged because um, uh, it's, it's, it's just not fair. Right. I mean, because, you know, as parents, if there was something we could do to stop it or control it, we would have. We would have. Sure. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we're, it doesn't make us bad parents. It just means that we missed the warning signs and didn't catch it early on. Uh, and, and, and nobody ever told us, well, this is what you should be looking for. Pay attention to this. Um, you know, it's like any other 
uh, ailment. Uh, if you know what the symptoms are, if you know what to look for, you're much more likely to catch something early and intervene and be and, and have a much higher probability of successfully resolving whatever it is issue it is. Absolutely. So you mentioned some of the warning signs with respect to, you know, um, addiction. So are they the same? Because you've also, you also mentioned eating disorders. Are they similar, you know, like a substance use is, are the warning signs similar to, um, an eating disorder? Well, when it look when when it comes to eating disorder and self injury, there are different warning signs to look for, uh, and I put those in my book. Um, some of the warning signs for a child that might be self injuring, you'll notice that um, you know they're they're wearing you know, inappropriate clothing, say during uh, summer when it's hot. They they're wearing shirts with long sleeves. Um, you might notice that there are some instruments uh, in their room, cutting instruments that uh, that might be a little suspicious. Um, eating disorders, you might notice that your child is is binge eating or restricting food intake, or or perhaps um, um, you know often on diets all the time. So there are specific there are warning signs that will alert you to a parent as to whether or not potentially your child might be struggling with a de eating disorder or might be self-harming themselves. Mm -hmm. Wow. Do you, could you share what are some possible causes of self-harm and eating disorders? Well, I, 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 in, in many respects, they, they are the same, uh, can be the same causes that we see for a child that's using a substance. Mm -hmm. Many times uh, there's an underlying psychological issue that unfortunately is never assessed and never diagnosed or treated. It might be anxiety, it might be depression, it might be some type of trauma, it might be an emerging personality disorder. But the child, whether they're self-harming themselves or they're using a substance is often using those substances or engaging in that behavior in a way to medicate that underlying psychological distress that they're in. Um, and, and unfortunately, it often gets undiagnosed and untreated. We'll treat the marijuana use, but we'll overlook the underlying reason as to why the child is smoking marijuana, which in many cases is, is to medicate a, a, an underlying issue. What I would say is that when I was at Menninger Clinic and working with teenagers, uh, some of those teenagers were smoking an awful lot of marijuana. And when I asked them to help me understand why they were, why were they smoking so much marijuana, the number one answer that came back was it helps me with my anxiety. So for some kids, not all, but for some kids, they may be using a substance or engaging in self-injury to help relieve those those intense feelings that they that they cannot tolerate, uh, so so the the behavior becomes the medicine, so to speak, to handle those intolerable thoughts or feelings or memories. Wow, yeah, that makes so much sense. And you know, there are people, who, you know, schools of thought who say, well, you know, the first thing we need to do is stop using the substance. Is it possible to stop using the substance without addressing the underlying issues, like? for that, for there to be real change, lasting change. 
Yeah, you can you can stop the the the, the drug use, you know, temporarily. But if the child is using, say, marijuana to deal with anxiety, you might be able to get that child to stop using marijuana for a period of time. But in the long run, that child is more likely to relapse because because they haven't found a coping skill to deal with the anxiety. So if you don't treat the anxiety, the coping skill is more likely to return. Gotcha. You know, it brings to mind a situation that I encountered without even, I kind of stumbled on it. I was sitting on a train in Toronto last, a few weeks ago, and a young man was speaking to a friend of his. I guess he was struggling with some underlying issue because he was like, I use marijuana to cope and I need somebody to help me with this. And I guess his parents didn't agree with that. So they basically, you know, had him leave the home and here he is now homeless and, you know, struggling with this, whatever mental health concern he had that he led him to the substance use. And, um, so I'm asking, I say that to ask what, how should parents respond? So if a child goes, comes to you and says, okay, I'm, you know, I've been smoking marijuana. How, what are some ways that a parents could respond to bring a positive outcome? Well, you want to respond by not accusing the child or threatening the child or punishing the child, because that's not going to work. Uh, what you want to do is uh, approach that conversation from an inquiring point of view. In other words, you want to keep the focus on yourself and how your child's using marijuana is affecting you. So you might say, um, your use of marijuana scares me because I, I think it could it could potentially be harmful for you. And, and that scares me. Can you help me understand why, you know, you're using marijuana when it's so such a scary substance to me? Um, so you want to keep the focus on yourself and how that child's use of marijuana affects you personally and invite the child to have a conversation about your feelings and how marijuana use is affecting you and see if that works. But regardless of how that discussion goes, if your child is using marijuana, um, you need to get an assessment done to see uh, the extent of the child's use. Is the child using any other substances? Um, does it warrant a diagnosis? And if it does, uh, warrant a diagnosis what treatment plan is best for your child and where could somebody get that like what are some agencies or resources out there that people could access to get those assessments i would recommend that the parents start with the school system because many times a school counselor, a school social worker, or a school psychologist will be able to do some of these preliminary assessments. If they're not able to do it, uh, they can they can refer you to a person in the community, a professional in the community that can do it, uh, get those assessments done. Uh, but I would begin by having a conversation with the school counselor, the school social worker, or the school psychologist, and sort of uh, fill them in on what you've observed what you're concerned about, ask them, you know, can they do some preliminary testing for you? And, and many times they'll be able to do that. 
Okay, wonderful. And I just want to, you know, encourage parents because I know all of this would probably come with some guilt, some embarrassment, and, you know, a bunch of other feelings. How can we use those feelings to activate action? Because usually often those feelings prevent us from acting because, you know, again, we're embarrassed and people will know. And what are we going to do? What will they think of me? What will they think of my child? That's exactly right. And those are very common, very normal emotions and feelings that parents will go through. You can't avoid them. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, And that's why I say it's important for you as a parent to have a support system. Maybe it's some close friends. Uh, maybe it's some uh, close relatives. Uh, maybe it's people in your church, your pastor or whomever. Um, it's very important that you have a support system that will help you get through this um, and, and so that you can work work through all of those intense feelings that you're having as you struggle to get through this with your child. Awesome. So I hear you saying, Richard, that we need to go back to the village, right? Because every, it's like, I've had so many interviews and isolation is usually, you know, usually um, exacerbates a problem. It makes it worse. It doesn't help, right? But when we bring the village together, then there's the support and other points of view that will help us get to an, a positive outcome. That's right. And, and, and it builds a, uh, a community of support around you. And you begin to see that these feelings of anger or depression or uh, low self-esteem that you're going through, these questions that you have about how good a parent you are, these are shared by other people as well. So if you, for example, were to get into a, a parent group uh, of, of parents whose, whose children are using substance and maybe in treatment, you will see that many of the feelings that you're having, many of the thoughts that you're having are very common because they're shared by other people in the group. And and that can be a powerful way for you to understand that everything that you're going through is normal. So true. And the other thing too, though, even when you speak to people around you, your friends and family members, they may be dealing with those same issues, but they were afraid to bring it up because they felt that they were a bad parent and they were not doing it right. And you may find that you have more in common with your circle than you do. Cause you know, again, like I said, we feel we isolate ourselves because, oh, it's me. It's, you know, what I did something wrong and this and that. And you speak to somebody else like, bro, I've been wanting to talk to you about this for a while. And <laughs> thank right. you for bringing this up because. That's right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Be surprised how often that can happen. Mm-hmm. So true. And I mean, I say this because, you know, like I said, my son struggled and I got his permission before I was like, listen, I may do some podcasts where we talk about this. Can I, you know, and he said, mom, my story will help save lives. And that's, that's the goal here. And, I, you know, I, and he's very open about it now. He wasn't in the beginning, but I made sure, you know, cause there might be some people out there that's like, how could you just tell? But I received, cause he's an adult. So I said, Hey, listen, I just need to know that it's okay for me to bring this up because yeah. again, it's important. It's a super important topic. And I mean, this this could save somebody's life. This information could save somebody's life. I mean, I walked into an office the other day of um, 
uh, pre-treatment um, center. And sadly on the wall were pictures of the guys who did not make it. And I thought, oh my Lord, you know? So that's why it's really important to make this information widely available to parents and caregivers. You're so right. And, you know, I, I, I tell myself that um, if, if this book, this The Addicted Child, A Parent's Guide to Adolescent Substance Abuse, if it saves just one child's life, then it has been worth all the time and all the effort that, uh, that has been put into it. Because, um, you know, this, this can be a very dangerous topic. Uh, very dangerous behavior. So if we save, if this book saves just one child's life, then as far as I'm concerned, it was worth all the time and all the effort. Amen. Because one life is priceless. Never mind, Absolutely. you know, how many more that, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm praying and hoping that more children get saved um, with the information in your book. And I thank you for adding the others. Cause when you said the addicted child, I did not, cause I have not read your book and I will, but <laughs> I didn't think to, you know, that to, that, you know, to include the eating disorders and the self-harm, but yeah. those are so important topics and they happen more often than we know. Especially for boys. Uh, I, I, I've seen a lot of girls that are struggling with an eating disorder, but, uh, but I think there's a number of boys that are struggling with an eating disorder, as well as self-injury. Um, and, and these often are even more difficult for a parent to pick up on than the substance use. Um, you know, because kids are very clever. They know how to fly under the radar. Uh, but it's just something uh, that parents need to be aware of and know the warning signs so that uh, they feel more confident and better prepared to, to catch these things. If they develop, catch them at an early stage. Awesome. So Richard, how can people get your book? The easiest way is to go to the book's website, which is www.helptheaddictedchild.com. Dot com help the addicted child dot com when you get to the website you'll be able to read uh, endorsements book reviews a sample chapter there's some interesting blog articles that i would encourage parents to take a look at one talks about uh, how the how the pandemic affected uh, substance abuse among teens and what happened with teen substance use a year after the pandemic. It's very interesting to look at at what happened. Um, and there is for, for if you have young children, there are uh, one blog article has 10 10 questions you can ask your child to check in on their mental health from time to time. So I would encourage people to go to helptheaddictedchild.com. And if you want to order a copy of the book, it's available as a Kindle for people who like to read on a Kindle. It's also available in paperback. And there will be a link that will take you directly to Amazon where you can order either the Kindle or the paperback. So uh, I encourage people to check out the website. Wonderful. And I'll also put a link in the show notes. Thank you. So make it easy for them to, for people to access, because again, you know, we need to save more lives. We need to help more families struggling with this issue. And it's such a difficult and taboo topic yeah. though, that people hide it and we want to shed light. Absolutely. It's, it, and I think it's a scary topic for a lot of parents 
um, it, it's a topic that sometimes, sadly, we think, well, this can't happen to my kid. This happens to other kids. But, but I can tell you that every child is vulnerable to getting captured by alcohol or drugs. There, uh, every child is, is vulnerable. It, it it doesn't matter where you live, rural, urban, suburban area. Uh, it doesn't matter where you send your kids to school, and it doesn't matter your level of income. All children are vulnerable to getting uh, caught up in this. There's protective environments, but no child is totally protected. That is so true, because when they go out there and they hang with friends and, you know, all the other things that we have no control of, Lord knows what could happen. Well, and also there is, you know, the, the research that is done every year on this, ask teenagers, how easy is it for you to get substances? Mm -hmm. And the response that we get is that when it comes to alcohol or marijuana, these teenagers tell us it's no big deal. They can get it whenever they want it. And then we ask them, well, how harmful do you think these substances are? And they tell us they don't think that they're very harmful. So the, the kids believe these drugs are readily available and they're not very harmful. And that makes it for a much more risky environment for them. Absolutely. You know, I mean, alcohol, it's a social thing. You know, people drink alcohol. Yeah. It's not, it's not a big deal. However, yeah, that's right. And, 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 you know, marijuana is illegal in, in, in a number of states. So mm -hmm. how bad can that be? But, but mm -hmm. what they miss is the fact that yes, marijuana may be legal in a lot of states for adults, not for adolescents. But what they miss is the adolescent brain. And every parent should understand, should know that the adolescent brain is in the process of maturing and developing. Our brains don't become fully developed until around age 24 or 25. So there's a big difference between an adult smoking marijuana and an adolescent smoking marijuana whose brain is much more vulnerable to being damaged and hurt. Absolutely. And I guess that the same goes for any substance, yes? True. Yeah, that's true. You need to protect the adolescent brain because mm -hmm. it is in the process of uh, of developing and forming those connections and maturing uh, to, and, 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 and preparing that brain for adulthood. So anytime you introduce an illicit substance or alcohol into it, you risk the damage of doing, you, risk, you take the risk of doing some damage. Right. Ooh, this is such a heavy topic and I'm so glad Can we be. were able to address it. And I thank you so much for sharing such valuable information with us, Mr. Richard Capriola. Thank well, you. thank you. Thank you for inviting me and for participating in this discussion. I hope everyone who listens finds it helpful. Yes, yes, I do too. And people go to the addicted brain, um, a addicted child story, a parent's <laughs> guide to adolescent substance abuse. You need to get that book, go to the website and, you know, cause whatever the book costs, it's worth it. Cause your child's life is priceless. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's not, it's not going to cost very much. I, the, the, sure. price, <laughs> the price is, the price is very low. And that's right. and that's the way I want it. I, I I want parents to be able to, uh, to be able to have this resource. If they get it in paperback, they can read it very quickly. Uh, I hopefully they'll read it and they'll think, okay, I've got this. I feel a little bit better about it. Put it on the bookshelf, um, and and 
maybe you won't need it, but maybe another relative or a friend might need it and you can loan it out to them. Um, as you say, it's an investment in, um, uh, in, in learning about this topic and becoming more confident with it. Absolutely. And there's that word confidence because we're here to help you parent with confidence. Yes, that's right. If more confident you feel, the more prepared you'll be. Amen. That is so, so true. So again, thank you, sir. And maybe we'll have another conversation. Anytime. Um, uh, feel free to reach out to me if you get questions or, you know, family, friends, uh, you know, they hear us uh, on this uh, telecast and they come up with questions. Um, feel free to reach out to me and um, I'd love to be able to respond to their specific questions or situation. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Okay. Thank you so much. You're welcome.